Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to the Olive Magazine podcast. My name is Laura Rowe. I'm the editor of the magazine and your host for this week. On this week's episode, the team discuss what constitutes a perfect gin and tonic. You might be surprised at the answer. Gregor and Janine fight over the best one-pot recipes. I don't have favourites, honest, but this week I'm backing Janine. And I talk to our social media savvy digital intern, Jordan, about our favourite Instagrammers. First up, here's Sarah and Alex talking about gin and tonic. Hi, so I'm Sarah. I'm the drinks writer here at Olive, and I'm here with Alex, who is our editorial assistant and digital writer. Hello. And we're here to talk to you about gin, because yes. we're all massive gin fans we on the are. team. Perhaps like it a little too much. <laughs> um, but we decided to kind of go back to basics and talk about the classic gin and tonic, where it's come from and why it's so popular. Mm-hmm. And some uh, little twists on new, newer gin and tonics yeah. as well. Yeah, and okay. how to match your gin to what garnish, because there are some crazy things happening at the moment and it can all get a bit overwhelming. <laughs> yes, Sarah's <laughs> getting a bit stressed. Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> so gin and tonic came about when the British Empire was at its peak and there was lots of trading with India with the, the East India Trading Company. And people were given quinine to fight against malaria. Mm-hmm. Now, quinine is incredibly, incredibly bitter. So to kind of make it more palatable, people mixed it with gin, which is the obvious thing to do, really. Right. Um, and that's kind of where the first gin and tonics started coming from. And then when they came back to the UK, back to England, they had developed a taste for it and thought, actually, I want to continue drinking this. Yeah, not just to fight malaria. Not just to fight malaria. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is why it's called tonic. Um, right, I actually didn't know that. Yeah, but back in the day, it would have been very different to how we see tonic. We see tonic as this crystal clear, bubbly liquid. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it would have been more like a syrupy consistency and it would have been brown. Okay. Because quinine comes from, it's actually a bark, once you soak that in water to make your quinine tonic or syrup, it's a really kind of gross brown colour. Lovely. <laughs> Which, yeah, thankfully has been kind of stripped yeah, out. Yeah, glad it's most. <laughs> It has. It has definitely. So that's kind of how it came, came about, really, and it's yeah. been popular ever since. And gin has just exploded in the last couple of years, and yeah. it is everywhere, and it's gone from a kind of stuffy drink that your nan drinks to actually the thing to have in your glass. Trendy. Um, But it can all get a bit confusing. So we're going to talk about kind of why people are experimenting a bit and how Mm -hmm. to best pair your gin with your tonic. And now, obviously, people take a lot of care. There are so many brands available. People take a lot of care over what gin they're choosing. But tonic is just as important. Yeah, it's two-thirds of it, isn't it? So Exactly. It's more important if, well... Well, yeah, exactly. You don't want to drown your gin and you don't want to mask the flavours of that gin that you've carefully selected out of the thousands and thousands of bottles that are now available. Um, and there are loads of different tonics available now. Yeah. So, Only about the past, like, two or three years, isn't it, really? Yeah, that's, that's kind of been sparked in reaction to the gin craze. Mm. 
Um, so there's some great brands out there. Now. I mean, obviously, Schweppes is still the market leader, um, which I'm not angry about. I think Schweppes is a great choice. It's classic. Yeah, I do prefer the Fever Tree, but I think also yeah. some people don't actually like Fever Tree because they think the taste is too... They don't like the taste because it's got quite thing. a distinct taste, doesn't it? Exactly, and that's because Fever Tree actually uses um, proper organic quinine. Right, Whereas okay. Brands Schweppes. like Schweppes or supermarket-owned brands are using artificial flavouring. Right. Fever Tree actually uses the real okay. thing. Okay. Which makes it a little bit more bitter. And then there's tonics like Henry Thomas tonic, which is German, I think. Right. Um, and that is incredibly bitter. Double Dutch is kind of a nice in-between. It's a real kind of all-rounder. So there's lots of different um, ones for you to experiment with. Mm-hmm. So what what are the classics that you would pair that with? Oh, And also garnishing, because that's really important as well, isn't it? So you've got your gin yeah. and your tonic, and traditionally it was yeah. lemon or cucumber, but now there's all sorts, which well, yeah. we'll talk about in a bit. But yeah. what, what would you say is the classic Well, again, pairing. that pairing that lemon or lime with it actually also goes back to the same kind of era because okay. it's citrus Dash to fight scurvy. Oh, yeah, of course. All makes sense now. So what you can conclude <laughs> is gin and tonic is very good for you. Yes, you be very, very, very good for you. Only um, in moderation, <laughs> though, of course. Of course, we drink responsibly. <laughs> um, See, so you've really got to think about what kind of notes are in your gin when you're picking your tonic. So, for instance, something like Tancray, which is Tancray 10 specifically, which is really citrusy and bright, needs um, a tonic that's not going to overpower it and that has those kind of citrus undertones. So something like Fever Tree is citrusy, it's clean, it's not going to overpower. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've got a spicier gin, you might want to try something a bit heavier, a bit bitter. Um, if you've got super sweet gin, you might either want to complement it and go for a sweet tonic, um, such as Double Dutch, it's a bit sweeter, or um, 1724, that's in those little, it looks kind of cool, it's in um, a different shaped bottle and it's got a yellow label, um, but that's a little bit sweeter. That. Or, so that's best paired with? Um, they pair it with Gin Mare a lot. Okay. Or it depends if you want a sweeter gin. You can pair it with a sweet tonic or go completely the other way and pair it with something that's super bitter. Okay. It's all about personal preference. Yeah. And then you start talking about garnishes. Yes. Which is a whole nother kind of yeah. box that you open and trying to match them and trying to match flavours. Oh, this gin's got loads of grapefruit in it, so I'm going to put a grapefruit twist or herbal or whatever it Doesn't is. Doesn't like citrus brings out, um, well, it gives a, a fresh note to like more peppery, spiced gins. Yeah, and it also, citrus complements kind of floral notes and gin mm-hmm. really well. Um, whereas if you've got something spicy, you might want to go um, for something like a herb, say rosemary, or okay. um, orange works quite nicely with spicy gins. Yeah. So well, what- speaking, of, um, speaking of which, I, one of my favourite, we spoke about before, one of my favourite gins is Gin Mare. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think... What's good about all of these new experimental gins, people are just exactly that, experimenting and seeing what works. And I love I love Jamari because it's it's so fresh and really savoury. It's got loads of botanicals of like rosemary mm. and thyme. And like it has from got a really interesting savoury known olives is in yeah, there. Yeah, olives. And also it's got... Um, it's got lots of citrusy notes, so, but it's a special blend from, you have sweet Seville oranges, 
and bitter Valencia oranges and then lemons from the Lleida region in Catal- <laughs> Catalonia. Um, and we have it in the olive office. We do. With, it's a favourite for Friday drinks. Yes, with rosemary to bring out those Mediterranean botanicals and also with orange to yeah. bring out all the citrus notes. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because Gin Mare as a brand have done a lot of research on how to make the perfect gin and tonic. And they've done lots, they've got lots of scientific graphs and they've broken it down mm. and done it all by esters, which are the kind of the um, chemicals that give you smell and flavour. And they suggest that you serve Gin Mare with mango and a little bit of black pepper. Right. Which... Why mango? Is it to give it that, like, kind of, creamy... It's what matches. They've nice. kind of got these graphs and then compared them all, and that's kind of what matches on the flavour profile, which is yeah. a really interesting thing to do. Yeah. Um, so maybe we should try that. And also, time. it's very important to have it in the big goblets with lots of ice. Yes. Ice is key to yes. any any cocktail, and gin and tonic is technically a cocktail. Um, is ice. To keep, it's, it's not going to dilute your drink. It's actually going to keep it colder mm-hmm. and make it dilute less the more ice it is it kind of acts like a little igloo and you um, can doesn't it make it um it enhances the flavor doesn't it because people think that it dilutes it but actually if you think about your taste buds mm. um if you're having ice it, it's a bit less harsh so maybe it yeah it kind of tempers that the alcohol yeah a little bit but yeah the goblets are great because they kind of the way that they're shaped and that they curve up at the top means that they kind of like like um a champagne flute it's concentrating yeah. the flavors or, like a wine, or a wine glass. glass yeah it's concentrating the flavors to your nose as you drink it so it's yeah okay. ideal cool. now i'm i'm a bit of a stickler because <laughs> while i think all these new gins are fantastic i am getting a little bit bored of gin now which is really controversial i know <laughs> i know our editor a, is shaking her head <laughs> i'm gonna get fired when i go upstairs <laughs> um yeah i mean i like to just keep it Classic. Yeah. If I want a gin tea and I think, oh, I really fancy gin tea, then I'm going to be reaching for Tanqueray yeah. or Sip Smith. I think is great, although it's a newer gin. Um, I think it's absolutely fantastic, and there's a lot of care and a lot of um, thought that's been put into creating that. S- served simply with fever tree and yeah. a slice of wedge of lime. Yeah. For me, that's all. Yeah. That's all I want. I do. I, I do. Tea. I do love that as well. But um, I I do like those with a bit of a, a twist. I do like. Mm. Um, portobello gin with a twist of grapefruit yes, because that um, delicious. that's got like nine different botanicals in it so it's got juniper berries and coriander seeds and oris root which is like a really floral um yeah. botanical from the iris and I those are all really classic um ingredients yeah in gin. and then serving it with that twist of grapefruit really complements like the floral citrusy yeah. notes makes so, it look um, brighter so that can delicious. be our um, our compromise yeah our happy compromise, compromise. <laughs> Great. Well, I think, yeah, I think what to take away from it is just experiment. Yeah. Try different gins. Find your favourite gin. Try it with different tonics. Find your favourite tonic. Mm. Find what garnish you like with it. It's and all about you, experimenting. There are no rules. Don't be kind of penned in by marketing perfect yeah, serves. Yeah, exactly. But what what would be great is if you could, if you have any perfect serve suggestions, if yeah. you let us know on Olive Magazine um, by Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. And, uh, yeah, just show us your perfect yeah, service. Let us know. We'll try them out. Yeah. Thank you. Brilliant. Thanks. Bye. Thank you to Sarah and Alex for that very interesting chat about gin and tonic. I have duly noted Sarah's uh, reluctance to try new gins, and I will make sure that all future bottles come to my desk first. 
And remember, if you want to learn more about gin and tonic or gin or any other drinks, there is plenty of content over at olivemagazine.com. We've got a big feature on the history of gin and we've got some great gin cocktails there too. Happy drinking. Next, we have Gregor and Janine in their regular slot, Recipe Wars, discussing their favourite one-pot recipes. So this week on Recipe Wars, um, it's me, Janine, and Gregor. Hi, Gregor. Hi, Janine. And we are talking one-pot recipes. Yes, we are. Now, first of all, I'd just like to get clear what a one-pot recipe is, because we were discussing this in the office, weren't we? We were. Uh, what, what are your views? Well, a one-pot recipe to me is does what it says on the tin, really. Yeah. It's a recipe that you that you cook in one pot, and that's yeah. it. So it, it seems to me a bit of a cheat if you cook one thing in one pot and then you have to do a, a, a sort of a bowl of couscous or a, or, a, or, a, or cook some rice separately. Yeah. I, that's a two-pot. Uh, it, is, it is a two-pot. Um, but then you're, is it not like you're cooking the main element in, in one pot, as in you're cooking... Or most of your cooking gets done, and then the thing you're serving it with is just a little kind of add-on. I think. I I would characterise that as a two pot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but really, I think I think it, it doesn't really matter. I'm just no. I'm just I'm just sort of kidding because basically the main element cooked in one pot, yeah. Yeah. Because a, a lot of other things you you cook in many other mm. different pots. So. so shall we say it's it's a recipe where. Pretty much all of the cooking is done in one pot. Yeah. And if you have to do a little bit of rice on or, so, or pasta on the side, then... then yeah, then wh- why not? We'll accept it. Yeah, yeah. we'll accept okay. it. And then we can move on from, yeah. that, from that point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I think we've actually both chosen completely one-pot recipes this week. Yes, I have. Yeah, and, yeah. and I have too. Yeah. Um, shall I start with mine? You do that, you do that, yeah. Um, so I'm going to the wonderful world of Hawksmoor, who's mm. one of our favourite restaurants in London and yeah. I can see your face I've got a picture of the recipe here and Gregor's grinning from ear to ear I remember it it was, <laughs> it was, a, it was amazing yeah. because it involves a huge piece of beef shin um, what the recipe is is it's called beef shin macaroni so it's kind of a mashup between a sloke of beef shin and macaroni cheese it's yeah, um, unbelievable though <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah. But the reason it's unbelievable, it is all done in one one pot, but it's kind of done in stages and there's mm. a bit of kind of reducing and refining in between, which I think is what, what makes it really beautiful. So um, so what you do is you take um, a whole piece of shin, and this is a great recipe for, um, you have to get down the butchers to get this because what you want is a, a kilo piece of shin with the bone in because mm. the bone's going to add loads of flavour to that stock. Mm. And then you marinate it overnight in red wine and then the next day, you um, put it into a pot with the marinade and some uh, beef stock, and you cook it really slowly for about three hours. Then you remove the beef, um, reduce the liquid down, and then you'll add into that some... Um, it's, it's not cooked macaroni, it's just almost cooked, so it's just been part-cooked. Part so it's going to finish cooking in the liquid. Um, put the beef shim back in mix in some cheese, put some more cheese on top and then bake it at a higher heat and it comes out looking like the most incredible Flintstone-style <laughs> macaroni cheese um, with this gorgeous kind of goldy, crust, crusty, yeah. it, cheesy beautiful. top. I mean, it, you, you have, in a way, I would call this kind of cheating because mm. you have picked one of the best recipes we've ever, ever done. <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah. I mean, that, I was, that, that, that was... And it's over. Um, okay. it, was, it, was, it was beautiful. 
But in, in a way, mm. to sort of undermine you here, what yeah. I've done is I've picked a recipe that you wrote yourself. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but rats. actually, it, it, it is one. It is yeah. one that I've used with my uh, at home with my kids yeah. like a number of times, and uh, my my girlfriend loves it as well. I mean, she it's actually her that asks me to do it. Oh, really? It's really, really good. So what what it Thanks, is Susanna. is Dijon <laughs> yeah, is Dijon chicken casserole with buttery herb dumplings. And it is, you know, strictly a one pot <laughs> because <laughs> because you, you do cook it all at once in one pot and that's it. Yeah. The dumplings as well, so you even have your carb right there. I mean, as you do with yours because you've got the macaroni. Mm. But So it's uh, basically you j- just put the, uh, the sort of butter shallots and, uh, I mean, you do cook the chicken and thighs, but you can cook them in the same pot first. You could cook it in the same pot, yeah. 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 So, yeah, so you know, yeah. if, if, if your attraction to one pots is for a... Uh, Dishwashing, yeah, yeah, which it's got to be part of the equation, surely. Um, that, it's a, it's, that the attra- it's an attractive part of it, it's isn't it? Let's face it. it. Yeah, as, as well as just being able to put. <laughs> Maybe it in that's the why oven. she loves it so much. It Are you a multi-pot is. man when no, you cook not really, normally? No, and really? I tend to wash my own dishes as oh, well. Oh so. my god! But um, <laughs> you know, it's because I can't do anything else. But there, <laughs> but there you go. And and uh, so I, I cook. Yeah, you cook the chicken. And then you put it in the pot along with the various vegetables, wine, chicken stock, double cream, uh, tarragon. Um, and uh, and then you make the little dumplings as well. Dumplings. You just put them on the top and whack it in and uh, with a lid. But then I always take the lid off at the top so just to get them a bit crusty. Just yeah. to get, give them a bit goldy. So I, I know that's a bit of a cheat. They're not classic dumpling because... Dumplings are tend to be a bit better. You need the steam to make but, them yeah, puff up, but actually up. a lot of people really like the, um, like the, crusties, the crusty top. Yeah. It's a little bit like a cobbler then yeah, as well. Then it is. Yeah, yeah. But I love dumplings. Yeah. Don't don't see enough dumplings in this world. I'm a I'm yeah. a I'm a huge dumpling fan. Yeah. Um and actually that recipe when I wrote it, mm-hmm. um, I think people have been asking how you can make dumplings without like I w- I would always use a Torah suet because I love it and it's what my grandma made. Yeah. Uh, dumplings with and I you know I think beef suets it yeah. might it might not be great for your arteries but it makes such good dumplings yeah. so I've always got a box of a Torah suet in my cupboard yeah. um but with this one what you do is you freeze freeze the butter and then grate it yeah and then you mix it with self-raising flour and a bit of salt and season and, and actually it it acts in the same way as a suet does as the fat the fats inside it so it just kind of puffs up to become dumplingy I can stodgy. attest that it works very well <laughs> Yeah, it really does. And it's yeah. a slight, it's a slightly more refined way to do dumplings. Yeah, um, I mean, I love suet too. I've got a packet of Atora suet. It's, it's also a design classic, isn't it? The, the yeah. Atora packet. They've never really Beautiful. moved on from the 70s. No, no, but and they, that's don't, a good they don't thing. need to. <laughs> no. they don't need to. Yeah. Um, it's actually quite getting quite hard to find now. You yeah, can, it is. It's really easy to buy the vegetarian, but not easy to buy the beef suet. No, it is. I mean, actually, in in, uh, in Smithfield's meat market, mm. um, it's it's you, it's really hard to buy suet. Yeah. Even even though it's a huge meat market and they've got everything, really hard to buy it. It's, it's, uh, you, you have to have kind you bought of it in a block them. then? Before? Um, no, I never have. The reason I know this is is because of talking to a, a friend of mine who works in a restaurant, mm. and they tried to get suet. And it took them ages to actually make mm-hmm. an arrangement with someone to get it. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, hopefully, um, you know, people will be encouraged to go out there and buy it, or mm-hmm. or even use butter and self-raising flour. It works just as Which well. Which works perfectly. Yeah. yeah. I was just going to say as well because we we've both chosen kind of stewy things, but um, but one pot. It doesn't have to just be like that, does it? Because I know you're a big fan of like the sort of tray roast type thing where oh, yes. you. 
um, what, what I think is lovely about one pots is that you're you're building flavors up. So you know, I've I've got a few dishes. Dishes, for example, is a really good um, chicken dish where you just throw vegetables and halved lemons in, um, roast them for a bit, then roast the chicken on top, and then all the juices and fat from the chicken go into the veg, mm. and then you squeeze the lemons over to finish. And I think that's the sort of thing where you're creating all of the flavours in one dish and you're literally just spooning it out onto the plate again. So Yeah, I mean, actually, now that you mention it, I could I could have had this as my one pot. Um, you had your uh, guinea fowl tagine oh, yeah. in the December issue. That's true. Which, and so I, I made that at the weekend. I used chicken. but. Okay. That's it was, acceptable. It was amazing. <laughs> All, the only other thing I had to make was was uh, was a big bowl of couscous. Yeah, ironically, but but it was fantastic. Yeah, um, and and you know my friends were impressed. One of them said, "That's the best thing you've ever made." It was really really good. It's the the paste really that does it. But yeah. Also, the, just the cooking, the carrots and the dates and the and the onions. You see that really rich flavour base. It was amazing. Okay. Yeah, well, I think we've I think we've yeah. proven that it it's it's easy, it's accessible. You can do it in loads of different ways. We've got tons of one pot recipes on olivemagazine.com. So, go find some. Thank yes. you very much, Gregor. Thank you, Janine. See, I told you Janine would win. If you like the sound of those recipes, make sure you head to olivemagazine.com. And last but certainly not least, here's myself and digital intern Jordan talking about our favourite foodie Instagrammers. So this is Laura here, the editor, and I've got Jordan, our digital intern. Hello, Jordan. Hi. Hello. Um, And so today was very exciting in the office, wasn't it? It was indeed. We got to 50,000 followers on Instagram, which was really exciting. So thank you very much for everybody that's been following us and interacting with us and taking pictures of all of the recipes that you've been making. That's been really cool to see. Um, But it got us thinking about kind of our favourite food Instagrammers, um, because there are a lot of them out there now, Jordan, aren't there? So many. So many. And um, kind of what makes a good Instagram photo but Jordan how about you tell us about some of the favourite people that you've been following recently Instagram is just the place to be if you want to stock foodies right now mm-hmm. definitely obviously it's so visual um, so one of my favourites is um, What for Breakfast okay and um, oh I might pronounce her name completely wrong but it's Marta Greber okay so she's a food blogger from Berlin isn't she yeah um, and she's really, really on trend at the moment. She's got a great, like, dark and gothic kind of aesthetic going on. Yeah, it's really unique. It's, um, I think what makes certain Instagrammers really special is when they've got a very distinctive style. Mm. You know, I, on my Instagram, follow thousands <laughs> of people, so it's really cool when you have somebody that you follow regularly and you can instantly tell yeah. it's their picture before you even and seeing who it is. Out. Yeah, and they're, they're really unique, aren't they? Yeah, um, so she's also got this, like... This tiny little blonde-haired baby, mm-hmm. which quite often features in her photos, just like covered in food, and that's just really nice to see because it's a—it's not just a um, kind of like manufactured profile. Like it's genuinely her life and yeah. her work and what she does. Yeah, I mean they're, so. they're just gorgeous pictures, <laughs> and then they're kind of they vary, but they're all of the same style. So yeah. that she'll do close-ups and then she'll do group shots, but they all have this beautiful sort of dark gothic aesthetic, really? don't they? Yeah, really, really nice. So she's got something crazy like 409,000 followers, but she's definitely one to watch if you want some breakfast inspo. Okay. Another one which I've been following for ages is uh, I Am A Food Blog. Okay. Tell me about this Um, one. And this is run by Steph and Mike Lee, and they're a couple, and they're from 
Ooh, Vancouver. Vancouver, so Canada. Oh. And this is very different. To Completely, the last one. Yeah, a huge contrast. So they've got this really lovely blog um, and they work together on it as well. And then they put all of their photos on Instagram. They're quite, they're, it's very light and bright, quite yeah. cute and kitsch. They've got some kind of animal type cupcakes going is, on that um, we can see. That's Taroto. Okay. The anime film My Neighbor Taroto. Okay. Um, sure. <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> if you're a fan, you'll know. It's okay. Great. It's great. And some owl toast or some sort of animal toast with Nutella. Looks like it anyway. Yeah. Either way, all very cute and light. Um, um, and yeah, I don't know. They've, they've just got this really kind of cool kind of life going on. I kind of want to be them. Um, yeah. Steph has got this rainbow hair to cut off and features. Um, <laughs> And they just they travel everywhere and they eat and they photograph it and talk about it loads. And Living the dream, then basically. Literally. <laughs> okay. And then if we're going to talk about Instagram stars, you can't not mention Izzy Hozak. Okay, so we've actually featured Izzy, haven't we, in yeah. the magazine before? In June, in our refrigerator in the magazine. Yeah, so for those of you that um, might not know, in our um, monthly magazine, we have a, a feature called Fridge Raider, and that's where we kind of profile our favourite Instagram stars. So um, Izzy, we've loved for a long time. So t- tell us a bit about her and why we chose her. So she's only 20, um, which makes me feel completely inadequate. <laughs> uh, Jordan, talking to the wrong lady here is slightly more your senior, but yes, carry on. Yeah, fair. But um, yeah, so she's got like... 216,000 followers on Instagram and she's also studying food and uh, nutrition at uni at the moment Um, and she's just so on it with the gluten-free trends and stuff like that like she's always following seasonal stuff but Mm. it's not just like fads like She's put so much time and effort into her stuff and they really work. And it's food that you want to eat, isn't it? Yeah. So she won a a YBF, a Young British Foodie Award this year, and she's from London, um, but obviously at Uni in Leeds. But um, the food, what I noticed with her posts is they're not, like, overly styled. So the last Mm. couple we've mentioned, you know, they are, they're sort of book-worthy, they're they're gorgeous imagery, and not say that Izzy doesn't know how to do that, but they just look a bit more real, don't they? They look like the sort of food you're either be making at home. Something that she's whipped up, taken a photo of, and then eaten. Like, yeah, it's not, specific it's not gone cold because she's taken so long styling <laughs> yeah. it. Um, it's just really, really natural. Really natural, and just food you want to eat. She, she's a real star, definitely one to watch, and a great, great British uh, young foodie. Yeah, yeah she's really good. Absolutely. So her blog's called topwithcinnamon.com. Definitely one to check out. I've got a couple of others. They're really bakey. Okay. Nutmeg and Honey. It's a, an American lady, mm-hmm. and she is amazing macarons yeah she's so so good she does do bakes and other things like that but it was a lot of uh, the little little treats um but she has a she they're themed so okay. she had a um, an up one the other day with the little balloon house very and cute stuff. and they're just they're just so perfectly decorated and sometimes she does marbled ones and gold leaf and really carefully painted they're just so delicate and it's crazy Cool. So, I mean, we're going to actually put this feature online, aren't we, to yep. tell our sort of top Instagrammers to follow this year and going forward into 2017. So definitely check that out. That'll be at olivemagazine.com and written by the lovely Jordan. Um, but Jordan, let's give a few tips now on what we think is is a good way to take Instagram photos yourself. Because, I mean, I do. I've got a personal Instagram and I take pictures. Yeah. But there is, there's definitely a technique to it, yeah, isn't there? no doubt. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not an expert in it either. Mine's a bit of a mess, but um, certainly some people have got the knack. Yes. Um, I think one of the things is lighting, really important. Yeah. Um, Which is not good at this time of year because it's dark no. all the time. <laughs> but I always find when I'm out for for uh, eating, lunch is a really good time to take pictures. And just True. I always, well, I don't 
it's mostly for the experience as well. But just in case I wanted to Instagram a picture, by uh, a seat by the window is always good for that. Just a little bit of natural light. Sometimes the um, lamps or spotlights can be a bit harsh. Um, we've got, again, this feature online by some of our team who are definitely pros. They've given lots of top tips. So one is if you're taking it with your iPhone, you know, don't zoom in because that reduces the quality. Um, and you can reduce the camera shape by pressing the plus volume bottom, uh, button when shooting landscape. That oh, yeah. helps as well. Um, and there's also the square option as well if you want to kind of ready crop. Um, there's things like the grid you can use on your phone as well. That can help. And also there's things like you would do with any picture, not just on an Instagram, but um, rule of thirds. So that's about kind of making the right composition. So you basically imagine drawing two horizontal lines and two vertical lines across your image to create nine equal parts. Yep. You're keeping up, Jordan? <laughs> and then the important elements of your picture should be placed along those lines. So it's just thinking of, like, how and it's going to look. Yeah, and you, you know. get that on your form of the grid. That's what will help you do. Perfect. Um, and then there's things about, yeah, composing your image, lighting, and use hashtags, but not too many. Yeah. I get really annoyed by all the hashtags, oh, I have sorry. to admit. Yeah. <laughs> But I know they're useful for when you're trying to search for something. But, um, yeah, just don't do too many. But all of that's, again, at um, olivemagazine.com. And obviously, you can follow our Instagram as well. Yeah, and check out our Fridge Raiders. Yeah, so Fridge Raiders is in every month in the magazine. Um, and that just shows a little sneak preview inside our favourite Instagrammer's Fridge. So that's every single issue. So, yeah, you can get that in good uh, news agents and supermarkets now. Or you can download our digital edition uh, via the Olive Magazine app. All right, brilliant. Thank you so much, Jordan. And I look forward to reading this lovely feature. All right, thank you. Thank you to Jordan and everybody on today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed chatting and eating and drinking for your pleasure as ever. Make sure you tweet us, Facebook, Instagram, email, write us a letter, ring us up to tell us what you think and if you've got any suggestions for next week or any future podcasts. Remember, you can subscribe and download our podcast for free each week via iTunes, Acast or your favourite podcast provider and you can now listen to them on our website too. Just click the podcast tab on olivemagazine.com. Happy listening, happy eating and drinking and we'll see you next week.